to Bonnets at Dawn, the podcast that explores the lives and works of women writers from the 18th, 19th and 20th centuries. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman. And I am your host, Lauren Burke. And this week, we are going to Southerton. Well, actually, okay, not really. We are going back to Mansfield Park, though. And um, that bit that was at the top of the show there, that was actually from the Mansfield Park Opera at the Water Perry Opera Festival. And that was about going to Southerton. And I've been singing it in the shower, Hannah. Southerton. <laughs> it's catchy. It's, it's catchy. catchy. Yeah, yeah, I like it. That should be the Eurovision entry for next year. Oh, we should do it. Can we do like a cross country? No. I'm the, yeah, we're done. <laughs> now you may remember those guys from season two, episode 14. And um, they're back at it again this year, doing the Mansfield Park uh, Opera again. It's a popular one. Give me a ticket. Yeah. I want to see it. You can't go because you're in America. I'm very local being in the same country. That's true. Look. Hint, hint. You scratch my back, (laughs) I'll scratch yours. Southerton. (laughs) I think they should just give us tickets to stop you from singing Singing that that, again. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is the second of our Mansfield Park episodes, and this week we are getting into it with our guests, Devony Loza and George Justice. You might remember Devony from season one, episode 26, Best Reads of 2017, which is another deep cut. Uh, Devony has kind of big boots in the world of Austin, right? So it makes sense to bring her back. Yeah, yeah, totally does. And um, when Devony told us that she and her partner George cannot agree at all about Mansfield Park, we knew that we had to get them on the show for a little smackdown. Devony Lozer is a professor of English at Arizona State University and the author of eight books, including The Making of Jane Austen, which we highly recommend. She is a Guggenheim Fellow and working on a very exciting new project, which we will um, talk about a little bit at the end of the interview. And George Justice is a professor of English at Arizona State University and a specialist in 18th century British literature. And his book, How to Be a Dean, was published in 2019 by the Johns Hopkins University Press. Let's do it. Where do you rank Mansfield Park on your favorites for Jane Austen? It's my least favorite. (laughs) And it's either my most favorite or my second most favorite, depending on the day you ask me. Gotcha. What's the other one out of curiosity? Uh, Emma. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. I like it. So now you guys have a meet cute story centered around Mansfield Park. 
And I know you've probably told it. You've told it to me before, but go ahead. Let's let's hear it for the first timers. So, yeah, Lauren, when I talked to you, was a year and a half ago now? Is that right? Yes, I told the story, but it was without George. So he and I have told the story separately and together a lot of times, and it comes out different each time. I don't know how today I'm about to say. We'll see. It's all uh, fiction. No, it isn't actually all fiction. It's true. So we met in Tucson, Arizona in 1995 at the American Society for 18th Century Studies conference, and its acronym is ASEX. So it doesn't seem like a place that you would really be likely to meet a spouse. Right. On the other hand, I had just I had just got secured my first tenure track job um, just a few weeks before. My first job was at Marquette University in Milwaukee. So I was riding high and I was strutting around the conference thinking I was all that and uh, really kind of looking forward to some social interaction. And we were both at a party that was hosted by the University of Delaware Press. I was there uninvited. I had sort of (laughs) crashed the party with a friend who assured me that it would be fine for me to go along. And she walked over to this party with me and we connected with this other group that George was a part of. And I was invited and I'll just take this opportunity to give a shout out to the director of the University of Delaware Press, uh, who was Don Mel at the time, a distinguished faculty member in English, uh, a patron of all of us who care about 18th and early 19th century literature and scholarship. They published my first book. um, And Don had invited me, as he did, he hosted this party for the press, which did a lot of work in 18th century studies. And and I was supposed to be there. <laughs> but in years later, I've, I've acknowledged to Don that I wasn't. And I always tell him that he's responsible for our children. And he blushes so beautifully whenever I say that to him. So he's, he's a, a, a wonderful man. He's a wonderful man. So as I said, you know, I was, I was riding high. And I went and I, I had my friend Kate introduced me first to Devaney's friend, Catherine. And um, I thought... Catherine was pretty interesting, and I enjoyed talking to her. When she started talking about her husband, I became slightly less interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my friend Kate said, oh, you should meet my friend Devaney. She's uh, an expert in Jane Austen. And I thought, okay, I'll go meet Devaney. And, and Kate introduced us. And I was very interested and very much looking forward to pursuing a conversation with Devaney, who was very beautiful, had on a black dress, and I immediately began by challenging her, so I hear you like Jane Austen, what's your favorite Jane Austen novel? And I said, uh, well, I've done the most work on Northanger Abbey. And I said, quickly, and in an irritated tone of voice, I didn't ask you which you'd done the most work on, (laughs) I asked you which was your favorite. So immediately, this is turning into a smackdown, you know. Right. And I was thinking he's cute, and I was excited to be talking to him, but he was already sort of giving me a hard time. And so I said, all right, if you're going to push me, my favorite is Pride and Prejudice. And I said, oh, I like Pride and Prejudice, but uh, my favorite is Mansfield Park. And I said, oh, well, Mansfield Park is my least favorite. And that is because uh, I am too much like the heroine, and I don't like her because she's boring. And that was the exact moment I decided I was going to marry Devaney, (laughs) and love Fanny Price, and 
Um, I, Devaney is certainly not Fanny Price, uh, but she is modest, brilliant, sensitive, intellectual, emotional, and I think I intuited that right at the moment. So we had mm -hmm. we continued this conversation, sort of me championing Mansfield Park and Devaney trying to parry my kind of obnoxious aggressiveness. <laughs> um, and then the party was coming to an end. We'd stood there talking for maybe half an hour, 45 minutes. And um, I was going out to dinner with, with the friends who had introduced us. And I said, come on, come to dinner. You got to come to dinner with us. So blah, blah, blah. I didn't go to dinner. We met up because later. Because she was feeling very, very responsible. <laughs> she had to go <laughs> banquet. I already bought my conference banquet ticket. <laughs> buys the conference banquet ticket. You go out to the restaurant in the city. So she decided to go to the banquet, but we agreed to meet up at a bar at this the is, end. This is taking too long. So we, we both showed up with a group of friends. Our friends saw that we were interested primarily in each other and not in our friends. Our right. friends left. Uh, George and I had a long conversation, toward the end of which he asked me to marry him. What? Well, is that that true, night? But... <laughs> You're missing the best detail. What is the name of the bar we were at? The Havelina Cantina. So we went and we visited the Havelina Cantina last year so we could relive some of this experience. But yes, I said, Devney, I have a very important question to ask you. And she said, what is it? And I said, would you marry me? And, uh, and I said, no. And I believe I gave you a lecture about how I did not believe in the institution of marriage. Also... <laughs> But, you know, I had this, I still, I found it, the Indiana State business card in which in her That's beautiful, I was teaching, distinctive hand, okay. she had put her email message. And I thought, hmm, and her phone number. And I thought, well, I guess I could just give her a call. I'm not doing anything else tonight. So I gave Devaney a call and we were up until about three in the morning talking on the phone, talked on the phone every night for a couple of weeks. And she came out to visit me in Philadelphia. And then we really did have a Jane Fairfax, Frank Churchill-like secret engagement. Wow. And now we're very far away from Mansfield Park. But yeah, we, <laughs> to, to say that, that Jane Austen has had an influence on our relationship from the first moment we met to the present is not an exaggeration. And it's Mansfield true. Park in particular brought yes. us together. Yeah, and, seriously. And we still feel pretty much the same about Mansfield Park, as it turns out. You still feel the same way. He has has he not been able to kind of bring you over to the dark side? No, uh, you know I appreciate many more things about the novel now than I did then, for sure. Uh, you know, having reread it many you know times in the course of teaching it, and when's it, have we taught it together? We didn't. The the two times we've most recently taught together, we did not include Mansfield Park on the syllabus. Well, that's fascinating. I wonder why we made that choice. I must have strong-armed you. <laughs> like, right, you know because I taught it by myself last year, and I did teach Mansfield Park. That's fascinating. And I'm sure I was convinced the students wouldn't like it as much. Did they like it when you taught it? They did. Okay. I mean, oh. they, they some of them really liked it. Some of them, like Devaney, uh, proclaimed not to like Fanny Price. Mm -hmm. But it was a book that they all got deeply engaged in, regardless of whether they came out of it loving it in the way that you know everybody loves Pride and Prejudice. Um, but they, they really wrestled with it, engaged with it, and a lot of them actually enjoyed it. That's so funny. And I've taught Mansfield Park separately. I just, I, I guess I hadn't quite put together that you and I never taught it together when we team taught. So we've team taught in Austin course a few times, but most often over the course of our careers, we've taught it separately. 
Now, when I talk to people about Mansfield Park, Fanny Price is the central problem or their their issue. And I think, you know, it's been a long time since I've read it. I feel like it's been like 18 years. So mm-hmm. I reading it now, I do actually feel like I'm reading it for the first time. I have to be honest. Um, but, uh, Fanny, I think I I probably would just like give that knee jerk reaction and say that Fanny was the issue. Is that the main issue for you, Devony, or is there something else? Oh no, it's totally Fanny. And I I think it's a great novel. I think all of Austin's novels are great novels. So Mm -hmm. by saying it's my least favorite, I'm not saying it's bad. (laughs) I'm saying it's my least favorite. And it's my least favorite because I appreciate and love Austin's wit, humor, of, and the way it combines with social criticism. I think Mansfield yeah. Park has plenty of social criticism and lots of things to, to chew on and think about and uh, have feelings and responses to. I just I don't like being guided through Fanny, and I'm sure it's an, a kind of over-identification with her. Uh, I, I don't think of myself anymore as like her, but I certainly <laughs> did in my 20s. imagine myself as kind of timid and anxious and... Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that I didn't enjoy seeing how that created struggles for her in the novel. So I think, you know, for me, biographically, there are reasons why it was my least favorite and probably remains my least favorite. And George, what is it about the book that you love so much? Well, I will get back to the quote-unquote problem of Fanny Price because I do Mm -hmm. love Fanny Price. Um, I love the book because it is is so... um, deeply emotionally rich and it is painful to read and uh, sir thomas his dominion over the household is painful mrs norris is one of the most human beings depicted in the english novel and uh, i love i love talk when we read mansfield park with my students my students because when they hear the words mrs norris they think of the cat in harry potter um, and J.K. Rowling really understood the centrality of Mrs. Norris um, as, 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 as an unbelievably sadistic creature. So when I think of the entire family um, dynamics that are depicted in Mansfield Park, it is engrossing to me entirely. But I have to say that I'm in love with Fanny Price. And I was in love with her the first time I read the book. I stayed up all night finishing the book, and it, it just really tore my heart out. And Lauren, I think I also need to tell you that George is in love with Fanny Burney, and George is in love with a lot of characters and authors. So when George says he's in love with something, I've learned to nod and smile because it it is a special thing, but it's also not special. (laughs) I mean, I have a very special relationship with John Thornton. I understand. Okay. All right. Fair enough. You know, we might be soulmates. It's fine. So, um... It's funny because like in our Facebook group, what's happening right now is uh, there was a huge thread on Fanny and it was either people that like they just can't they can't get on with Fanny. They're not not feeling it. Or there are a ton of people that do really identify with Fanny. And so they actually love her. So it's it's kind of interesting that that discussion is like happening right now in our Facebook group. Yeah, and I understand it. It is a shock to come to Fanny Price after you've read about Elizabeth Bennett. And um, I, I sometimes, when I was teaching it last fall for the most recently, I tried to put it in that context for the students. I mean, if you've created Elizabeth Bennett, who is about the most 
perfect character ever created in English literature. Do you love her too? Well, so you love all everybody. Of <laughs> okay, I'm just, I just want to point out the everybody loves. Okay, but, go ahead. Uh, everybody loves Elizabeth Bennet. What what do you do? Thinking thinking of it uh, from the perspective of the author, do you create somebody like Elizabeth Bennet, but not quite as sparkling? Do you create Elizabeth Bennet and put her in even more tortured circumstances? Um, uh, and so when I think about Mansfield Park, it is from an authorial challenge. Same thing as with Emma. I'm going to create a main character whom nobody but myself will like. She seemed to set herself a challenge of writing about um, women who might not be as immediately lovable as Elizabeth Bennett was. Mm -hmm. uh, have you, has your Facebook group, or do you look over that uh, set of opinions on, of Mansfield Park that Austin herself collected? If you haven't done this, Lauren, your group should absolutely do this. Oh, yeah, and we should do. Okay, so yeah, tell me about this. And I think your listeners will uh, will want to know about this, too. So mm -hmm. Austin co collected a set of opinions of her friends and family members who read Mansfield Park and had responses to it. And she apparently told them, uh, many of them she was in contact with individually, to be honest with her. Mm -hmm. And so some of the opinions that came back are sort of brutally honest. Uh, but they're, pr they're printed in the later manuscripts volume of the Cambridge University Press Austin edition. And that's the edition that George and I were looking at in advance of this conversation. And mm -hmm. uh, George, do you want to find the one from, oh, you want me to find it? I, I love her uh, nephews and her uh, mother's responses, especially. But here are her two nephews on Mansfield Park. She says, Edward and George, not liked it nearly so well as PNP. Edward admired Fanny. George disliked her. <laughs> so it basically sets up in these opinions a kind of pro and con. And you see, even from the readers closest to Austin in 1814, that there was immediate uh, disagreement over what to make of the, the heroine. And mm -hmm. uh, here's, here's Austin's recording of, um, <laughs> of her mother's response. My mother liked it not so well as PNP. Thought Fanny insipid. <laughs> That's my favorite one. There's, anyway, there are lots of things you can say about um, Mrs. Austin, but I think Fanny's insipid. I guess that's that's where it comes to for me. I think she's insipid. I'm sorry, though, George. I'm almost insulting myself by saying so. Um, <laughs> we, we don't have to go into the Freudian psychodynamics of that. Uh, but there are, they, in a way, Fanny is both a bold departure for Austin, if you think about characters like Elizabeth or even Elizabeth's sisters uh, from Pride and Prejudice, but she does hark back to uh, the author Fanny Burney and some of Fanny Burney's characters. So mm -hmm. Evelina, Cecilia, Camilla, they were all very shy and the shyness sort of forces an internal um, self-development in terms of the way they think about the world. And so the inside and the outside are um, in such deep contrast for those characters. Uh, for Elizabeth, she really comes out and says what she thinks uh, in every circumstance where it's possible. But that's, in a way, an unrealistic character, female character for the 18th, early 19th century, whereas Fanny might actually be less of a fantasy and more, unfortunately, of the reality of what young women, especially 
young and about a fortune with emotional depth and with sensitivity and with intellectual brilliance, that's unfortunately a direction in which many of them were pushed. Yeah, and that first description of Fanny at the beginning of chapter two, um, you must be talking about that one too, that this, this is uh, the way she's first introduced at Mansfield Park. She was small of her age, with no glow of complexion nor any other striking beauty, exceedingly timid and shy, and shrinking from notice. But her air, though awkward, was not vulgar. Her voice was sweet, and when she spoke, her countenance was pretty. Uh, it, it is heartbreaking. It, George, is, George is almost in tears listening well, to that. Well, it's very beautiful. <laughs> and it's beautiful. I'm not even kidding, Lauren. He's almost he's tearing up. Over the course <laughs> of the novel, and, and that's why Henry Crawford's recognition of Fanny, of Fanny's merit, of her value, and of her beauty is really kind of shocking and wonderful um, when that happens. And it is a triumph for Fanny that she is able to reject him. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's beautifully put. We can definitely agree on that. It's funny. Um, in the Facebook group, too, we've had a lot of discussion of, you know, what if Mary Crawford was the lead character in this book? What if we saw Mansfield Park through Mary's eyes? Um, what do you guys make of Mary? So I like Mary, and I know I'm not supposed to. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, she is, it, as I said before, I love where Austin is witty and I love her irony. Mary is the wit and the irony in this novel. Uh, but where I think the rubber hits the road is the word principle. And, you know, that's a word used in the very first paragraph of the novel, principle. And how does principle come up against wit? And Mary has too much wit and not enough principle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Elizabeth Bennett as a character maintains a respectable amount of both, right? Mm -hmm. But I think Mary is willing to forego her principles for wit or maybe doesn't, uh, you know, I think we're, we're meant to think that based on her household of, uh, <laughs> of recent origin, she has had a, a bad school. But the, you know, and, and certainly Fanny sees the problem in Mary Crawford as being of principle, but that isn't necessarily the way my students saw Mary, and it probably mm -hmm. isn't the way I see Mary. Mary is witty, brilliant, beautiful, funny, um, but what she isn't, and this is what my students could not forgive her for, she is not consistently sensitive to Fanny and to other characters around her. She lives for herself. And, uh, you know, if you, if you think about the actual morality of the interpersonal relations in Mansfield Park, a lot of it is different nowadays. I mean, you know, even Mariah leaving Rushton to Rushworth, Rushworth um, doesn't strike them necessarily as uh, a terrible thing. They can mm -hmm. see that it was terrible for the time period, but sure, Mariah should be able to leave a dullard uh, like her husband to go off and do something more exciting. But what they can't forgive are those moments in which Mary is inadvertently cruel to Fanny because she's just not paying attention. So, you know, if you take my opinion is that the character who really pays attention, who thinks of others and yet has that firm sense of duty and principle, I'll take her any day over Mary Crawford. Ooh, okay. strong words for Mary. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, here, here's a quote from Mary Love. I mean, I love Mary at the gambling table. I love Mary all sorts of ways. And I'm not disagreeing with your sense of your of her selfishness or insensitivity to others, George. I think that's spot on. But this is from chapter five. It's a favorite quote of mine from Mary Crawford. She says, there is not one in a hundred of either sex who is not taken in when they marry. <laughs> and I, I love her. Yes. <laughs> cynicism and her sense of the world's ridiculousness and people's uh, sort of romanticism in ways that uh, are fooling themselves. And uh, I like her, the way her cynicism leads to a kind of clarity of sight about a lot of things too. Um, mm-hmm. I think that clarity misses so much. So if I look around at the world and the people that I really value, it isn't the Mary Crawfords who come in, make you laugh, dominate a room, and yet you can't entirely trust them, I guess. I'm more interested in people that I can value on a continuing basis, care of me and for others and so forth. So, Devaney, I'm very disappointed. Well, I wouldn't want to be married to Mary Crawford, but nor would I want to be married. So there we go. <laughs> We're down to the uh, Who would be more fun to watch at a party or talk to at a party? Clearly Mary Crawford. So in that sense, as somebody reading a novel, you enjoy reading about Mary. But it doesn't mean you'd want to trust her. And I, I think that is where you and I, again, we, we agree. I'd like to read her as a secondary character, as Austin Mater. But, you know, it is the, the question you asked was uh, a question I asked my students. Shouldn't Mary be the main character here? Mm-hmm. And it really does flummox some of them. And some of them, some of them take the bait and try to rethink what Mansfield Park would be like if Mary were the main character, in the same way that when we read Emma, what would it be like to retell Emma through the eyes of Jane Fairfax rather than through Emma, and then pull back from that and think about what does it mean for the novel that Austen refuses to give us their worldview as the central worldview of those books? What is Jane it or Mary? Um, uh, either Fanny, Fanny instead of Mary, or Emma instead of Jane. Why does Emma make Emma and Fanny at the center of those novels rather than the easy choice, which would be, for reasons we've talked about with Mary, she's got the wit, the vivaciousness, the independence, things we loved in Elizabeth Bennet. And it's not just, well, I'm going to write about a different kind of character. She is rejecting that kind of character in Mansfield Park. Well, selfishness selfishness must well always be forgiven, you know, because there is no hope of a cure, right? That's that's what Mary's line, right? It's a very good one, too. But I like her. I do like her as a secondary character, too, to like sprinkle that in. I actually have to say, like, I am much this time around reading Mansfield Park. I'm not I'm not sort of bothered by Fanny, I think, because I'm also really looking at everything else that's going around. And maybe it's because I have that giant annotated Mansfield Park edition, too, (laughs) that keeps pulling me off in different directions and whatnot. But that's amazing directions you can pull off. But I also think that's a. That is what the, by putting, you know, and now I'm going to be negative about Manny, Fanny, you put a, a bit of a vacuum at the center of the novel. You have to go off in those directions, which yes. is why the annotated edition of Mansfield Park is great. You can read about landscape architecture, all of these aspects, really important aspects of the world in which Austin lived can be examined in more depth in Mansfield Park partly because you don't have to focus so much on the movement of that main character, who's really still at the heart of 
all of this interesting social movement that's going on around her. Well, can I bring up another one of these opinions? I'm obsessed with these opinions in Marathon yes. Park. So yeah. this, one is, this one is Fanny Knight. So this is Austin's niece with whom she had lots of conversations about marriage. Uh, Fanny Knight said she liked it in many parts, very much indeed, delighted with Fanny, but not satisfied with the end, wanting more love between her and Edmund, and could not think it natural that Edmund should be so much attached to a woman without principle like Mary C., or promote Fanny's marrying Henry. Uh, so, you know, we're talking about 19th versus 21st century readers. These debates are right here in the 19th century readers. Right. Uh, and so that's fasc- fascinating. But, you know, wanting more love between her and Edmund is a really interesting line there. It's really interesting. But, again, I, I think it, it plays into Austin not giving the reader what the reader got in Pride and Prejudice, which is mm-hmm. utter satisfaction. And she plays with us at the end of Mansfield Park, acknowledging I'm not going to give you the incredible satisfaction you got out of Pride and Prejudice. And I, I won't even say it's more realistic. It's a different artistic effect. And I think it was a, a, a very consciously artistic effect not to let us be as satisfied as she had left us at the end of Pride and Prejudice. And whether it's because it's more realistic or she just wanted to play with us, uh, her readers, her audience, um, I think you could interpret it either way. Yeah. To make you think, make you talk. I mean, honestly, we Hannah and I were just talking about this the other day, and I'm sure we'll have a big discussion on the show about it. But it does. I was like, how many weddings have you been to where you do feel exactly the way you feel at the end of Mansfield Park? That's, that's very great. funny. That's <laughs> I mean, where you go, well, they got what they wanted, so I guess we're happy. I wonder how many people thought of that at our wedding, Devin. Oh, George. Oh, George. <laughs> I mean... not go there. But, you know, this reminds me of, too, is, of course, in Sense and Sensibility, when uh, Marianne and Colonel Brandon get together, another coupling that mm-hmm. people find uh, sometimes unsatisfying or problematic. But I, I think in both cases, in both Marianne's case and in Edmund's case, it's a, it's a second attachment. Edmund finds a second attachment. Uh, and I, I think we have a hard time with that. I think, and George, you and I were a love at first sight kind of relationship. Uh, so we've got that going for us. But we also weren't each other's first attachment. It's, you know, the 21st century very different with first and second attachments. It's hard to believe that Edmund can be as excited about Fanny as he was about Mary. But what's interesting about that, what, and I think that's really great stuff, Devaney, is that at least in when I go to Jasna or when I talk to my students, uh, the age thing, you know, if you're 19, Colonel Brandon does actually seem kind of old, but most <laughs> of them see the Colonel Brandon that nobody doubts that Colonel Brandon genuinely loves Marianne or that there isn't this deep feeling. And when I go to Jasna, I, I mean, Colonel Brandon is one of the favorite of the heroes of many of the people who go to Jasna. So for him, the second attachment is fine. And it's Mar- uh, Marianne kind of coming into the clear and seeing the truth about the merit of this wonderful uh, Colonel Brandon. And so I, I think for many contemporary readers um, that I've talked to, the ending of Sense and Sensibility is very satisfying from the Colonel Brandon Marianne perspective. Edward, 
<laughs> that's another story. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, Edward Ferrer's oh, Edward in Ferrer. Sense yeah, of yeah. Sensibility. Yeah. Edward is, in fact, was much less appealing to my students when I taught the course this spring than Colonel Brandon was. Um, and like Edmund, there's just something simpering and wishy-washy about him. In fact, Edmund is a paragon of uh, backbone in comparison to Edward. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, I would true. like Marianne to Edmund on the second attachment question, but I, uh, I can't. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that too. Now, has there been like a reading from your students, or you know, maybe a misconception that sort of like surprised you when you're teaching Mansfield Park, or or maybe just a general misconception it doesn't have to be what well, you're teaching. I, I think the adaptations have changed how students, if, if they know them, how they've approached the novel. And I think the Mansfield Park of Patricia Rosamond Mansfield Park so much from Austin's letters, and Jane Austen-like has an impact on that. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and then, of course, that BBC version where Candy Price is made into a kind of a buxom, uh, exciting young woman herself. So, you know, it's mm -hmm. been a, George and I were just saying we haven't seen those in a while, and we didn't rewatch them for this conversation. But I, I think those versions of what Mansfield Park is, or the ways that slavery has now become so central to the telling of this story, rightly and interestingly, but it it makes the students approach it if they know those things with a different set of concerns. My mm -hmm. students really couldn't get, and, and you know, I could, I finally explained it so they could intellectually get it, they couldn't get why putting on the play was such a complicated thing to do in the household while Sir Thomas was gone. And uh, so that was a part that, that I read Lover's Vows and they did enjoy kind of playing out the relationships and Lover's Vows against, but I had to really hammer at what could possibly be inappropriate about deciding to put a play on when you've got a, a bunch of people there just hanging out with nothing better to do. Mm -hmm. Seems so much more innocent than a kegger when your parents are out of town, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's great, and I'm going to use that analogy next. Now, do you guys? What is your favorite part of Mansfield Park, and what would you sort of like urge our readers slash listeners to to look at? Wow, that's a good question. You know, my least, my favorite part of my least favorite. Right. Uh, do you have an easy answer to that, George? Well, what I, and I still, and, and it was a challenging question to my students and one that I don't have a great answer for is why uh, Fanny and Henry Crawford, how does the relationship come about? Why Fanny, you know, sort of the qualities of Fanny refusing to go with Henry, because I still think that is a close call. And mm -hmm. then in a lot of readings, even my own, there's part of me that says, go ahead and marry the guy. Um, I read this spring, I taught a, a kind of 18th century novel up to Jane Austen course, and we read um, uh, Samuel Richardson's Clarissa, which is really about the impossibility of reforming a rake. But in a way, if you don't know the entire kind of literary and cultural context of the figure of the rake, the kind of ne'er-do-well man who plays with women's hearts and lives for pleasure, I think it's kind of hard to see the how adamant 
Fanny is about rejecting Henry, especially when the narrator says she would have been susceptible to him if it hadn't been for Edmund. So in a weird way, it's Edmund who has saved, quote unquote, Fanny from Henry. But um, many of my students could see that it could have been a very good life with Henry. Mm -hmm. I think my favorite part, if, uh, the scene that sticks with me most is the chapter 10, Fanny on a Bench, Rushworth fetching the key section. That's amazing. Um, and through Mariah, the caged bird, um, Edmund and Mary going off, the, the iron gate, the ha-ha, the restraint, the hardship, I can't get out. Uh, I, I just think that is a, a kind of amazing moment where each of their characters come into view all of the challenges that they're facing as they are on this kind of moment of precipice of what their adult lives are going to be. Uh, that is a beautiful, amazing scene. And it's a kind of nothing scene. Fanny sitting on a bench. What, how can that possibly be interesting? Uh, but I, I, it's incredibly interesting and incredibly moving and so beautifully conceived and written. Uh, so I think that's probably my favorite part. That is perfect. Now, off of Mansfield Park, is there something that you guys are currently researching right now or reading that has you really excited? So I am working on a, a long-term project, a book that I'm really excited about, Lauren, and then the working title is Sister Novelists. It's about Jane and Anna Mariah Porter, who were incredibly famous historical novelists in Austin's era, celebrated, they were called the celebrated Mrs. Porter, and they are, have more or less gone completely dark in literary history. That is, they were once very famous. I think they're fascinating, and I want to bring them back into view. So that's the book I'm working on. It's very exciting. And uh, do you have a target date for that? Or? Uh, that's yeah, that's fair. <laughs> let's, let's call it two years. Um, sure. It, maybe sooner. It would be wonderful, but let's call mm -hmm. it let's call it two years. It's a, a, a labor of love, a project I've been working on. There are thousands of extant letters between Jane and Anna Mariah and mm -hmm. the kinds of things that we wish Jane Austen's 161 measly surviving letters would go into, the kinds of things we wish survived. Mm -hmm. To me, the, the, those parts of being an author and those parts of life in late 18th, early 19th century England come alive in the letters of Jane and Anna Mariah. All of the horrible, beautiful moments of, of being male, being a writer and being in financial exigency in this period. They're just written about with such verve and such moving prose in the letters. So I can't wait to bring people those stories. I wish we had more than 161 of Austin's letters. Mm -hmm. uh, but the fact that we have these thousands of the Porter sisters describing their experiences in circumstances that were somewhat similar to Austin's I think it's going to prove really interesting to Jay Knights and to people in jazz. And I hope to, to convince them. So I'm writing, uh, I'm working on an essay for the Routledge companion to Jane Austen on Emma. And it's sort of an overview of, it's called Emma, a heroine and really trying to think through Emma's uh, pervasive influence over the way the novel works. And I'm working on a, um, an edition in its own way of uh, Samuel Richardson's, great novel, Clarissa, uh, uh, an electronic edition that I think will allow people to, uh, and especially Jane Austen lovers, to be able to enter what is a forbiddingly 
long and complicated text. A million words, right? A million words. It's mm-hmm. it's an unbelievable book, um, and it's it's nearly unreadable. So I'm trying to work on an edition that will be both complete and also allow people to enter it in ways that will open it up to them because it's it's truly an incredible book. And as I was mentioning when I was talking about it in relation to the character of Henry Crawford, if you read Clarissa, you will reread all of Austin's novels in a deeper and uh, more intense way. And then you should do Sir Charles Grandison after you do the course. Well, Sir Charles Grandison, <laughs> Jane Austen's supposedly favorite novel, is a little hard to get through, has to be mm-hmm. said. Clarissa <laughs> is very, very long and difficult to get through, but it's a work of the highest imaginative genius. And Lauren, the other thing, as you mentioned earlier, that I've got coming out in October is this collection, a year of quotes called The Daily Jane Austen that University of Chicago Press is bringing out. I'm really excited. It was incredibly fun to choose 378, so one for each day, leap year, plus one for each month. That's how that number comes mm-hmm. up. Okay. Uh, Austin quotations, and I tried to present them in context. So, you know, we nice. all know the line about, uh, you know, there's, no place like home for real comforts, uh, you know, but the, m- fewer people realize that that's Mrs. Elton. And if you, <laughs> if you see it right. in, in longer context, maybe you don't want a pillow with that on it. Let me just put it out there. Right. Uh, so that, that's what I've tried to do in the quotation book. And my talk at the AGM on Northanger Abbey's Wit and Wisdom will be drawing on some of the work I did for that daily Jane Austen. So we're having Austen fun pretty much round the clock all the time. That's how I want you to imagine us. And we are back. And um, I just want to amplify something that George said in the interview and tie it into something you and Helena tackled last week. See what I'm doing? I'm weaving oh, things together. Yeah, I'm just really, guys, I've had one beer and I am making connections tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so the authorial challenge that George talked about, that of tackling not only the difficult ending of Mansfield Park, which we are going to get into next week, but um, tackling Fanny, an unpopular leading lady, which is just science, folks, based on the number of Facebook comments that we have received, (laughs) right? Um, And there's this thing that you and Helena said last week um, about how Austin writes, you know, a variety of of men. Mm -hmm. And... um, I was just sitting there like listening to that interview thinking, you know what? She's also writing different women. And I think that we're like constantly battling that, like just that popular image of Lizzie Bennett. So we think Lizzie Bennett is the standard and that she's deviating with Fanny Price. But when you really look at the women that Austin is writing, there's a broad spectrum of ladies that she's she's tackling and exploring out there. Yeah, you're right. And like every adaptation of Mansfield Park, I think like the biggest complaint is that they try and Lizzie Bennett, Fanny Price. Right. So now another thing that I'm dying to talk about, and we will get into this more in the future because I know we have a lot of like Facebook discussion on this one as well. Um, The comparisons between Mansfield Park and Wives and Daughters, which was our other read along this year. Mm -hmm. Now, when we were doing the Wives and Daughters read-along, I was kind of just like, 
oh yeah, it's a little bit like Mansfield Park. And then now I'm in oh, Mansfield so Park. Strong I'm for just, me. I'm so really strong. in it though now. Yeah. And I can't stop thinking about these two books together. So I kind of hope this um, episode will generate some more discussion about that in our Facebook mm-hmm. group, and we'll circle back around to it. But. One thing that I do want to talk about in particular today is Fanny versus Mary held up against Molly versus Cynthia. Um, So another thing that came up in our Mansfield Park episode last week was how Fanny and Mary are mirror images of each other. Mm -hmm. And I really, really liked that. And um, I remember thinking the same thing about Molly and Cynthia. Yeah. I just, uh, I feel like this comparison is so strong. I mean, you have these women from similar backgrounds with different personalities, but they are responding to the same men and the same situations just differently. Okay, so warning, listening to the interview and the discussions that we've been having in the Facebook group uh, since this started have just given me like so many thoughts and feelings about Fanny and Mary and particularly the way we praise or persecute women. Mm -hmm. And I think this novel in particular um, draws a line down the sand and people I think feel very strongly about one or either. And really, I think it's quite hard to have that conversation because people are so embedded. Like I'm team Mary Crawford. We're having, I feel like the same conversations we had during Wives and Daughters, honestly. Anyway, um, so yeah, I'm going to just launch into it. I apologize. Go ahead. Don't at Go ahead me. and rant. <laughs> do it. I do find it funny how often people say that Mary is cruel or unfair. It's almost like they're saying she is particularly cruel or unfair because of the times that she's careless with Fanny's feelings. And I don't think that people take into account the time that she is like specifically kind to Fanny when other people who are around her are not. Mm-hmm. And like this happens more than once Mary tries to bring comfort to her I mean just for the sake that Fanny has been comfortless there's the scene where she is playing the harp for Fanny and I know that's motivated partially just to show off but Mm -hmm. she remembers that Fanny has expressed a desire she's surprised that Fanny hasn't like heard her play the harp before and that you know for whatever social reason she hasn't been there and she immediately plays it and she just keeps you know she just plays and she just plays and it's nice you know we have the self-awareness that it's nice for her to play to someone who is appreciative but like that's not there's nothing really wrong with that yeah right and then also when Aunt Norris is mean to Fanny it's Mary that kind of chats away to her all night and brings her back into the circle and just tries to you know, force her to forget about it. And I think that a lot of the things that Mary does that upset people are usually involving Edmund. And I think you've said a couple of times that it's funny that we blame Mary for that situation and Edmund doesn't often come under much scrutiny for it. Right. Like with the horse situation, totally Edmund's fault, nothing to do with Mary, honestly. And what's wrong with her pursuing a guy she likes? Like, mm-hmm. you can't crucify her for that. And I really think... I really think people do. Um, I do think at the end of the novel, it's, it is disappointing when she's dismissive of the situation with Henry. I do think it's uh, a reflection of her upbringing and her worldview and the society that she's been keeping. And in my personal opinion, a very real, but you know, probably naive belief that Fanny would change Henry right. or 
make him happy, you know, and that they, that even for a short time would be good. And yeah, it makes it easier for her to marry Edmund, right? It's that nice, Mm -hmm. close family connection. Again, very human. I don't think there's a lot wrong with that. And I just think she gets totally tarred. The other thing I'd say is that I do think that Mary has like a very real character arc throughout the novel and she is changed by her time at Mansfield Park. And I don't see that change in Fanny. She gets what she's always wanted at the end of the novel, Fanny. So I don't, you know, she's welcomed into the family bosom. She gets Edmund. Like, what's the difference? I think I will say I'm very biased on this. I haven't fallen in love with Fanny on this read along. Mm -hmm. And so... I'm sure people are going to come back with a lot of examples of changes. But I think losing your temper like one time, which is the (laughs) example I've seen the most, doesn't mean you've changed as a person. I haven't um, fallen in love with Fanny on this read along, but I really feel for her. And I feel for her in the same way that I feel for Mary, because um, as Fanny... If Fanny is, you can feel her anxiety throughout yeah. the read, right? And she really is sort of just like balanced on a knife's edge, I feel, mm-hmm. the entire time. But I think the same thing of Mary as well, who's been kicked out of her uncle's home. And again, these are two women who are in very similar situations, but sort of just deal with it very, Surviving very differently. Surviving the charity of an uncle. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you know, Mary uses her charm to... I feel like a lot of people read it as to get ahead or to as a gold digger or they read some sort of malicious intent in it. But I think she's got to survive being a mm-hmm. woman in this period in time. Like you have to make friends and be charming and be liked and gain connections. And she has charm in her arsenal and she's using it. And I don't know if there's anything wrong with that. I've seen a lot of people vilify that. Actually, not in our Facebook group. I've read some like really crazy things on the internet this week that I've riled Hannah up with like just before this taping. I mean, I'll call it what it is. It's slut shaming. Yeah. Mary Crawford gets slut shamed abysmally. It's yeah. so upsetting. And I yeah. think that's what I would like. Being like, I'm guilty of it, but being pro-Mary doesn't mean you have to be anti-Fanny and being pro-Fanny doesn't mean you have to slut shame Mary Crawford. Yeah, I think that these are two women who are very much like halves of a whole and you can see a little bit of yourself in both of them. Mm-hmm. And um, I think Gaskell does that super well, right? With Molly and <laughs> yeah. Cynthia. Yeah. Like, I feel like, guys, just stop the podcast. Go read Wives and Daughters right now. It'll take you like three months because it's a really long book. <laughs> Maybe I'm also very sensitive to it uh, as far as Mary goes, because I've always been a very different kid growing up, you know, like definitely the only woman of color in like a lot of my classes and Um, You know, I'm a little taller than everyone else, a little bigger than everyone else. And I've always tried to be extra nice to people or charm people in order to make them feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so I understand that um, in Mary. Obviously, we have some issues with Mary when it comes to um, uh, when Tom is on his deathbed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So that's like a big thing, right? Like, yes, obviously, we can blame Mary (laughs) for being extra cynical and being like, well, I don't know, he's going to be the heir now. So that's great. Doesn't the same thing have kind of happen in Wives and Daughters? I feel like that's kind of the same thing that like we had that discussion like, oh, wait, yeah, Roger's going to be the heir. It's not an attractive feature. (laughs) No, it's not for for either Cynthia or Mary, but they're not like 
the worst people in the world. I feel like I can really understand like where they're coming from and like what's going on with these characters. Yeah, and I think Austin wants us to think that the last thing we hear about Mary is very much um like a little like a little fairy tale ending almost, right? So this is the bit in the sort of last chapter epilogue bit of Mansfield Park that I think is kind of that final redemption of Mary that I always want to just read to people when they are totally writing her off, right? So it goes, Mary, though perfectly resolved against ever attaching herself to a younger brother again, was long in finding among the dashing representatives or idle heir apparents who were at the command of her beauty and her 20,000, anyone who could satisfy the better taste she had acquired at Mansfield Park, whose character and manners could authorise a hope of the domestic happiness she had there learned to estimate or put Edmund Bertram sufficiently out of her head. Yeah. She's changed from her experience, you know? She takes something away from it. Just like Cynthia has changed from her experience. She learns. She changes. She learns. She's like, she takes it in. Yeah. And guess what? Maybe I'll learn to be more appreciative of Fanny Price. Not this episode, though. It's very Mary Crawford (laughs) focused. I'm very sorry. I'm not asking anyone to forget Mary's sins, right? Mm -hmm. Let's not forget the stuff with her wanting Tom to die (laughs) quickly so that Edmund can get the living. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just want us to remember that she also has virtues. Yeah. We contain multitudes, my dudes, like... (laughs) Well, that is what Gaskell and Austin, I think, are saying with both of these books, right? Yes. 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 If Austin wanted Mary to be the main character, I think she would have written that book. Mm -hmm. We know she could have. She had the talent. She had time, but she chose Fanny. And I think that that is incredibly intentional. Like, she needs to be the lead character for Mansfield Park. But... Are we going to tell them why we think that this week? No, we're talking about that next week. (laughs) Cliffhanger. (laughs) Cliffhanger. We are going to talk more about what we think Austin's intentions are. Um, You know, we talked about it a little bit in this episode. Devaney brought up the opinions. I think that is very, uh, that was very important. Austin was carefully like tracking how people were thinking and feeling about Fanny, about everything, about the ending. I think this is a very intentional mm-hmm. book. I mean, she's a very um, intentional writer. Yeah. It's, but specifically, I think she's trying to do a thing here. So um, to find out what that thing is, you're going to have to tune in next week when we talk to another very special guest, Dr. Patricia Matthews, who's also writing a very cool book, which involves Mansfield Park. Um, Shocker. Surprise. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So tune in next week. That'll be great. Um, Before next week happens. We have like so many events. We are on the road, guys. We just got back. We're hot in from Kentucky. But oh, man, Kentucky. Great. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having us, Kentucky. Amazing. All of you are wonderful. And if there are more of you that would like to experience a wonderful Bonnets at Dawn live event, then, um, I mean, maybe you can sneak over to the next room in the Red Lion and just like listen in on the pub quiz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring bring your own pen and paper. It is sold out. But hey, I mean, if you're from a Jasna chapter somewhere else and you'd like to bring us in to do this event for you. (laughs) 
Our yeah, DMs are open. Slide on in. Yeah. Slide on in, Austin lads. And um, if you are in the Chicagoland area on July 27th, you can hang out with us at Page One Books in Evanston. We have some very exciting games planned. Yeah, it's like a Bonnets at Dawn take on parlor games. Yes. Yes. Austin-inspired parlor games. Um, I mean, let's just say I'm cutting out a lot of pictures of various Austin villains and heroes, like their heads. Yeah, (laughs) heads will roll. There's a very awkward Hugh Grant picture upstairs. (laughs) I love that picture so much. Uh, Edward Ferris and all of his clothes. Just every single item of clothing that was made for him just on his body. That was was the costume direction. Just awkward. All of the clothes. Padding. So yeah, that's uh, it's gonna be interesting. <laughs> so come to that. There's come gonna to be that. like some refreshments as well, and yes. I think it's just gonna be a really lovely um, day. So yeah, if you want to know more about that, you can hit us up on the social medias and uh, where and what and uh, what is that, Hannah? I was gonna ask you a question about the internet, but I forgot. Oh, good. <laughs> Thrilled. You can find us as always on Instagram and Twitter at Bonnets at Dawn. You can email us bonnets at dawn at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. I was going to say facebook.com. And you can find us on Facebook by yeah. searching Bonnets at Dawn. And good it's time. great. It's a good time. Good yeah. time had by all. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you to everyone in our Mansfield Park read along. You are killing it. And um, we'll talk more about that next week. And thanks to Devonie and George for the SmackDown. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Oh, one more thing. I'm really excited about Devonie's new book about the Porter sisters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Wow. I mean, 